As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer show where we look back on a weekend where Chris Bort blisses Man United sent Newcastle towards the abyss. Bayern were flying as they left Jesse Marsh's Leipzig crying, and Napoli took three points from a Juve side who played crappily. My name is Ryan Bailey, and joining me to look back at the weekend that was is a man who is as welcome in your ears as the sound of Zlatan Ibrahimovic still scoring Serie A goals at 39 years old, Taylor Rockwell. Hello, thank you for that lovely introduction, Ryan Bailey. I do not have his majestic braid that he was rocking for this game, and I also don't know if I have his ability to uh, start drama at the end and get managers red carded, but I will always take that comparison to Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I think you could braid your beard. Have you ever thought about it? Ooh, that it's it's very dense. The, the curls make it dense, but that would be fun. My wife is the expert braider, so maybe I have to go that route, although I have a feeling it's going to hurt. I've had my hair braided once. It did not feel great. Okay, well, that's another story for the book Ah. of the most interesting man in the world, Taylor Rockwell. Uh, But uh, Zlatan being back, uh, a 2-0 win for Milan over Lazio, scored upon his return. He's never going to stop, is he? He's never going to stop. He's not. It's almost like if you take care of yourself and live a healthy lifestyle, you'll be able to do athletic things for a while. And every time I think I've learned that lesson, I then order a cheeseburger. Yeah. You're the happier one, though, right? Right? I mean, I feel like I probably am, yes. (laughs) You heard a slight groan in the background there, and it's a man who's here with us today who's enjoyed a weekend of teenagers winning US Opens, Formula One car drivers driving on top of each other, and his usual 15 soccer matches per day. Graham Rudman. (laughs) Hello, Ryan. Yes, I had a a very relaxing week watching everything that that wasn't soccer. So yeah, I watched some tennis, some F1, and I I watched uh, Scotland in World Cup qualifying, which I don't think anyone could class as uh, as soccer. So uh, yes, it was very relaxing. Thank you. You've been a busy boy, haven't you, with all these multi-sport disciplines? Uh, I, I, you know, Formula One, tennis, I think I saw you doing a minute by minute of the MTV VMAs at one point. (laughs) You you got your fingers in a lot of pies, Graham. See, before my 30th birthday last week, I didn't know what the VMAs were. But uh, now, as an old, a certified old person, uh, I'm very familiar with the, the VMAs. Video Music Awards, I believe that's the thing they had a number of decades ago. Video Music, no one really knows what that means. 
I, I just enjoy I'm very that. familiar with them before struggling to say the name of the awards. <laughs> <laughs> there was a sporting aspect because Conor McGregor tried to throw a punch at someone, which uh, warranted a minute by minute, perhaps, Graham. Maybe next year. I mean, did that, I, I, I honestly, this is not something that has registered in my mind. The, the VMAs, is that, a, is that a joke or did Conor McGregor, why was Conor McGregor there? Uh, he was there because he's Conor McGregor and he Attitude. tried to punch Machine Gun Kelly. I know young things, Tuck Graham, because I'm only 37. I know who Machine Gun Kelly is, but uh, why Conor is, McGregor would be throwing uh, a punch at him, I, I don't know. That is the most manufactured, like, the two of them, I can just picture them like, hey man. You want to start a beef real fast? Like, yeah, totally. Let's do it. How do we want to do it? Like that, that, that is I, like, I could have guessed that's who it was going to be. And I do enjoy MGK at times, but uh, yeah, that feels very much like we're going to create this public beef and then there's going to be talk about, are they going to fight in the ring? It feels like sort of the way Conor McGregor is going credit to him. Cause he keeps making that money, but uh, I don't think I need to see the two of them scrap. Yeah. Taylor, we could, we could audibly hear your head and your hands there as you were speaking. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think I think I just like I went a little bit maybe too all in on the Conor McGregor hype way back when, and then slowly realizing that like, oh, I like bought that one hook line and sinker, and he knows exactly what he's doing. It makes it it makes it less enjoyable. I think these days. So now you're in on the machine gun Kelly hype instead, right? Oh yeah, got gotta be that red suit. Are you kidding me? Get out of here. <laughs> that red suit. I saw suit. the photos. I saw the photos. Yeah, he it was, looked. It was, it was his partner who stood out a little more, Taylor, in the photos I saw. But um, <laughs> for, I mean, for you, maybe for me, all I saw, and it connects to the first game we're going to be discussing, was uh, the Gary Oldman Dracula suit. If you ever see his suit of armor from the beginning of the Gary Oldman Dracula, very similar to the suit Machine Gun Kelly was wearing last night. And there was an age of immortality about both him and Megan Fox. This is the conversation <laughs> I totally thought we were going to be having today. This is why the people tune into the Total Soccer Show. You're quite <laughs> right, Taylor Rockwell. Uh, on, on a soccer note, by the way, I saw an interesting statistic come up on the Reddits. Barcelona have vaccinated 99.9% of all playing staff. That number, once again, 99.9% of all playing staff. Now, I'm more of a word guy than a number guy. <laughs> but if, if they've vaccinated 99.9%, does that mean they've got at least 1,000 players on their books? Is that why they're losing so much money? Because they've got like 900 too many players? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, about five, 500 of them left over the summer transfer window, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I believe that, that statistic. It's like, like, Antufati is so good, like 10% of him can't be covered or 0.1% can't be covered by, uh, the virus. That's how it works or the vaccine. Or maybe it's just Barcelona are very bad at numbers and this is or another that. example of that. <laughs> <What>? maybe <it's>... <laughs> <laughs> There's no evidence to support that. I think there is. All right, we've covered the big news of the weekend. Machine Gun Kelly, bad statistics. Let's get to some Premier League soccer, shall we? Uh, Looking at the Premier League, Tottenham's short-lived title campaign, RIP title campaign, Tottenham, took a bit of a beating on Saturday. They lost 3-0 to Crystal Palace. Uh, uh, Palace's first win of the season, that was. Uh, Newly promoted Norwich suffered a shock away loss at Underdogs Arsenal. Didn't see that one coming. Uh, And sad to see Liverpool's 3-0 win at Leeds, overshadowed by a pretty nasty injury to superstar in making Harvey Elliott, who dislocated his ankle in that one. Gents, the game we're going to be focusing on, though, comes from Old Trafford. Portugal 4, Newcastle 1 in this one. Now, a lot of hype around this game, Taylor. The return of a player who's been away far too long and immediately found the net. 
Jesse Lingard, of course. Great yep. to see him back here. Just kidding, just kidding. It was a, a Man United legend who returned to Old Trafford and truly thrilled the crowd with what he did out there with his contributions to the goals. Steve yeah. Bruce, of course, I'm talking uh. about there. <laughs> I'm I was actually, the... I thought we were going to Manumatic. That's where I thought we were going with that one. I could do these all day. I really could. <laughs> but we're going to get to the meat of it. It's Ronaldo. Goals uh-huh. either side of half time. Uh, Bruno with a pretty decent howitzer from 30 yards as well. The Portuguese contingent doing very well in this game. Taylor, we've had the difficult conversation around Mm -hmm. Ronaldo's uh, return to Old Trafford. It seemed a little little amplified when we saw Ryan Giggs in the director's box. Uh, There's an active court case against Ryan Giggs at the moment. He stands accused of domestic abuse. It's not a fantastic look for the club when he's in the stands at this point. No. Can we put that aside and say, yes, that's a great debut from Cristiano Ronaldo, two goals in in his return? Yes, we absolutely can, uh, because it was. And I think especially that second goal, I have enjoyed the many think pieces that have tried to rationalize why that first goal was like exactly what they were looking for. And yes, he's alive to it very quickly. He finishes it uh, well, and it's important that he gets that goal. But the second goal for Ronaldo, that one is for me the thing that as a United fan, I have not seen yeah. Manchester United player be able to do, at least not with that level of competence. And it really is the... Like the there's a, there's a quote about like uh, the essence of math is not to make simple things complicated. I wrote it down, but to make complicated things simple, and that is what Ronaldo does with that goal. It looks very easy the way he takes it in stride, gets it onto his shooting foot, backs himself, and and puts it in, like in the five hole basically. Uh, but to be able to do that on the fly, to get your footing right, and then really just to know your angles and like have the belief of if I put this on target, it's going in. I don't think that Manchester United have had that in a goal scorer in quite some time. Mm. And just the presence he brings, the sort of attention that defenses are always going to pay to him, it opens up space for other players. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty strong debut for him. Second debut, I should say. Second debut. Graham, how did you feel about Ronaldo's return? Yeah, I I think we... I wrote a piece for Eurosport after this match on how I I think his performance showed the benefit and also the detriment of, of him coming back to Manchester United. And... Taylor's absolutely right. The first goal, you know, whatever, it's a, you know, it's a poacher's finish. Cavani might score that goal if he's on the pitch. The second one, I don't think Man United have anyone nope. in their squad who scores that goal. And I, I saw a lot of people kind of minimizing that goal. And, and actually, I thought it was, I thought it was a brilliant goal. The way he kind of peels away from his marker, looks, creates the space, the way he drags the ball beyond the marker when the pass was actually slightly behind him was was brilliant and I think he means to put it through the legs of the goalkeeper as well. I don't think that's a a, a lucky finish. But I, I think also we saw that Manchester United are quite a top heavy side, uh, which is <laughs> I don't think I'm the first <laughs> one to have noticed that. But the the base of their midfield was still very exposed. See how Newcastle scored their equaliser with a, a kind of three on one counter attack. United are still desperately lacking in that in that midfield anchor Role and to be honest, during this match, it, it kind of dawned on me that, that that Ronaldo, the Ronaldo signing, is Manchester United signing Robin Van Persie for Ferguson's last yep. season. Where my United tell you might be able to remind me. I've, I've been trying to think while while I'm talking here that my United's midfield at that time was who Tom Cleverley, uh, a faded oh, Anderson. Wow. You know, it wasn't a yep. good midfield, and yet they go and get the best goal scorer in the league, Robin Van Persie, and it kind of masks all those problems. And obviously, those problems were eventually exposed once Van Persie kind of faded and after Ferguson retired. But for that one season, it worked just because they were outscoring opponents. And I think my United are going to do a lot of that this season with Ronaldo. I think they're going to be really fun to watch. I do have doubts whether they can um, 
finish ahead of Chelsea, maybe even City, but I do think they're going to be close. I think Ronaldo's going to be, make them a better team. And I think even on, on, on Saturday against a Newcastle United team who sat very deep, there was five compact cent- uh, defenders, the two wingbacks were tucking in, there was four midfielders in front of that back five as well, making it very compact. And that is the type of game that Minet would have struggled, Even maybe even last season, they would have struggled to break down Newcastle and they didn't really have that issue just because they've got so many players who can produce a, a moment of of brilliance in the attacking third. And I do think they're going to have a good season, Minet, and I think Ronaldo's going to improve them. Taylor, um, Graham mentioned they're the base of the midfield. I think it was Matic and Pogba in, in front of the defence in this one. Not the combo you may have expected. Obviously, Fred unavailable. Um, do we miss Fred? Is that the question I'm asking here? I'm not sure. Uh, no. I mean, if that might be the question you're asking, the answer to that question is no, I do not. Uh, and, and it led me to wondering, I, I tweeted this, and Graham, I'm, I'm wondering if you have an answer, because I didn't, and it seemed like most people also did not, is that Manchester United have now brought back Paul Pogba, they've brought back Cristiano Ronaldo. My question was, if they were to bring back another player to make them better, to make this team as it exists better, who would it be? And I'm not sure there's an answer. The only one I could think of would be Ander Herrera, because there is that gap in midfield. You need yeah. somebody who could sort of be that anchor, and I don't even think that's him necessarily which is why he's not there anymore but he's the one who comes closest and I, I agree with Graham that you still see that one pretty sizable area of vulnerability that if you do get those numbers pushed forward if you do start to get frustrated and send runners overlapping and and commit numbers centrally it leaves a lot of space and I don't think Nemanja Matic is going to cover that I don't think Fred has the passing range maybe it's Scott McTominay but I do think that has been an area of concern for a while, and it continues to be. And it's just strange to me that it's been such an area of concern for so long, as evidenced by them really not having that many options there for a very long time. This, though, Taylor, it was a fun game. Can you agree yeah. on that? Because I, I felt like they kept mentioning on the commentary how loud Old Trafford was. It did feel mm-hmm. like the the the, uh, the occasion was a little raised more than usual. It was attractive soccer we were watching here, which is not something yeah. we've always had with Man United over the years. And a really nice passing play around the box. That fourth goal with, with yeah. the, the passing movements around the box was wonderful. Really good build up. It, it's. I know that I'm I'm a person who has bet on this team maybe foolishly to do well in the league this year, but. They do seem like they've got a lot of talent and a lot of depth. Maybe not depth in that particular position we were talking about there, but they've got the depth to compete on multiple fronts here. Like, you saw how many of the players from the squad were used to. Even Donny van der Beek got on the field yeah. in this one. Yeah. <laughs> the forgotten man. Marcel coming on and getting minutes as well. He was good well. as well. Yeah, very good as well. And it's, it seems like they were sort of showcasing almost in this game, we can compete in a few competitions this season, Taylor. Yeah, and I think the we can compete aspect goes to mentality. And I do think... Sometimes that gets overblown. Sometimes we want to create a narrative around they have the wrong mentality. They now have the right mentality. But I think there's something to be said for Ronaldo going back to when he was with the club and and like ideas that were instilled in them under Ferguson. The one that I always think of, uh, Darren Fletcher, I believe it was, told this story to uh, Graham Hunter for his podcast. The other Scottish Graham is what I've always called him. Um, <laughs> And it was basically about how they used to do rondos in training. And there was like the top, top tier rondo that always had like Skulls and Keen and and the most technical players, but it was always super fast. And when you got put in there, especially when you were a newbie, the goal was kind of to see if you could hang and if you could, great. But if not, to, to humble you a little bit and let you know, yeah, that's too many touches. Yeah, you can't do that much. There's the story of Rio Ferdinand signing, being embarrassed the first day of training. And I think it was, it was either Ole 
or Roy Keane saying like, how much for you? Like, like so there's an element of ruthlessness there that you need. And God, can you imagine how often they say that about Fred? Exactly. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. I wonder if they've just stopped saying it. If it's like, yeah, Fred's, Fred's good enough. Let's put him in the top tier one. And it, and it sounds like Ronaldo, I think on his third day in training, did kind of pull, pull the team together. And his motivational talk was essentially, it's been fine, but it's not been good enough. And now it's going to get better. And, and sometimes you do need that person to pull the team up to that next level and to establish this is not good enough. And it seems like at various points, Points that has been Paul Pogba for Manchester United, less so recently. It's been Bruno Fernandes pretty consistently. And the more players you get who I think will not rest on their laurels, demand that everybody continue to perform, demand that they keep finding ways and keep attacking and keep playing good soccer, I think the better that the more that becomes your identity and the better you perform as a result. And I do think that is a thing he brings to this club. And there is such a degree of respect for him in that locker room. And it seems like there's such a enthusiasm to get to play with him again. Jesse Lingard putting out that picture of him being like greeted by Ronaldo when he was in the Academy. And I think like you can see the significance that he brings to that team. And I do think it leads to a stronger, just more energetic self-belief that United haven't always had. Taylor talk, talking about new signings and, and the impact that they've made. Sorry, mm-hmm. sorry to change the subject slightly, no, but you, you must be pretty pleased with Raphael Varane yep. and the impact that he has made. I mean, I know, I know people for the Newcastle goal, where I thought very unfairly kind of pinpointed how he was flailing out about a little bit, but he's left completely on his own to face three Newcastle defenders and he very nearly makes the tackle on San Maximan. I, I, it feels it feels to me like he's already that safety net that Man United have needed for a long, long time. And he's used to the sort of scenario of having to do a lot on his own, masking mistakes, having played alongside Sergio Ramos for the last 10 years, who <laughs> would leave him exposed yep. uh, quite brutally. Maguire kind of does a similar thing. So it just, to me, it just feels like he's really comfortable already. Do you feel like he's made a, a big difference? I do. I absolutely do. And I think it's like, it's a thing we've talked about when you compare players and what they did at the Euros to what they do with their club. And I think Harry Maguire looks so strong for England, but sometimes looks a little shakier because maybe he doesn't have the belief in a center back partner in seasons past. Maybe he doesn't love the players that are in front of him and doesn't have that double pivot shield like he has for England. And I would say, jumping ahead to the Juve game for a moment, Chiellini and Bonucci look rock solid when they've got Donnarumma behind them, when they've got a wavering Chesney, I think you can see <laughs> some of their vulnerability. And so you can have that sort of downturn in performance if there isn't that unit that's performing. But I think Varane, if anything, gives Harry Maguire more stability. He gives him a greater sense of security. He's going to win things in the air, but he's very smart in when he steps and when he tracks and his awareness of space and how he's able to kind of split that difference. I talk a lot about how Virgil van Dijk is so good at, if it's a 2v1 and he's defending, he's exceptionally good at closing down while cutting off the angle and then making a play on the ball. And I see a lot of that in Varane as well. So I think you're right. He covers a lot and makes that whole team better because he can put out some fires on his own. What happens when they come up against stronger opposition who are maybe going to make United uncomfortable when they attack, but then also have more consistent threats going forward? We'll see what happens there. But for right now, I think Rafael Varane has been a massively important signing, maybe the most important signing they've they've made this season, even if he doesn't get the biggest headlines. Agreed. Uh, by the way, on the goal, the Newcastle goal, I felt like maybe it was Luke Shaw more at fault who going walkabouts. He seemed to at least several times in this game go go central and go on these runs. And one of them, of course, was rewarded with the yeah. assist for Ronaldo's goal. And I felt like he was maybe a bit out of position. He tried to recover for that Newcastle goal. But um, while we're on the subject of new signings, and also on the subject of the left flank, Jaden Sancho, 
Yeah. Um, dispossessed a couple of times in this one. Didn't set it alight, Graham? Uh, I am split on on how he played. That yes, you're, you're right. His his final product's not there. Obviously, his numbers in the Bundesliga were were outrageous, and he's not put that together for Manchester United. I still feel like he is. He's contributing. I felt he for the sixty minutes he was on, he he did a lot to kind of create space for for others. I have to say though, I, I do find Solskjaer's decision to play him on the left interesting, <laughs> uh, to put it lightly. Obviously, with Rashford out at the moment, with through injury. And Martial not in the best of form. It might just be through circumstances playing on the left side. But Sancho was obviously signed to be the solution on the right side. And the idea wasn't just that he would contribute on the right side, but that he would balance out the the team. Manchester United for the last few seasons have been very much focused on the left side. And so having Sancho on the right is is meant to balance them out a little bit. And and that hasn't that hasn't really happened yet. And obviously Greenwood has been in good form and then Ronaldo signs and you have to play him up front. So as I say, I'm giving Ollie a little bit of the benefit of the doubt just maybe because this, these are the circumstances he's been handed and Sancho at, the, at this moment is best on, on the left. That's where he has to play. But if he doesn't move over to that right side in time, I think I'm going to have questions about why he's been signed in the first place because... I felt like you mentioned there Varane getting exposed by Shaw. I also felt like Juan Bissaka was getting pushed slightly too further, too far forward on the right side, which was then leaving Man United exposed at the back. And ideally, you want Sancho, Sancho on the right to kind of do his right winger thing and kind of have Juan Bissaka not having to make those overlapping runs to provide width as 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 much. So it, it still feels like this Man United team they're not quite set yet in terms of their balance for, for me, and a lot of that is down to how Sancho is being used. Day of celebration for Man United with a 4-1 win. Uh, a quick note on Newcastle, uh, who've conceded 12 goals in four games now. Um, when Steve Bruce decided, you know, playing five at the back and trying to be resolute and then still not keeping the score down in any of their games, it does spell trouble. Um, Joe Lowry's not with us on the podcast today, but I think in our previews, if the memory serves me, um, Joe was, had Newcastle down for a, a cert relegation. And... Taylor, would you disagree with that based on what we've seen in this game? I would not. I would not. I mean, I, I, you never know what's going to happen with Leeds and Arsenal. Uh, it's been a, a slow start for a few clubs. But yeah, one point from the first four games, negative seven goal difference. And though they had moments where they looked very good and obviously they get the goal, it's still, to me, a club that haven't had the, the investment necessary to play the way even Steve Bruce wants to play. And I would argue that we're reaching an era when you do have to kind of continue to adapt and evolve. And I think they're more hanging on. Uh, again, this kind of goes back to Mike Ashley for me. But yeah, I think Joe Lowry is probably feeling pretty confident in that prediction right now. Very much so. And uh, we, we'll talk your fair about this game bringing celebrity to it. Was it Gary Oldman who was in the stands? <laughs> the most celebrity, yes. The, I, mean, I mean, when the US <laughs> Open had like Leo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt and Bradley Cooper and... Larry Gary David. <laughs> Larry, was Larry there as well? Larry David was at the Radicanu match, yeah. Just Excellent. going, pretty, pretty good. I would, <laughs> Sir Alex Ferguson also at the Man United game, I would pay to watch a half an hour just sort of back and forth interview show between Sir Alex Ferguson and Larry David. I feel like that would be the prickliest, <laughs> kind of funniest, but then also maybe they would both get a little bit aggressive and it'd be a good balance. I would enjoy those two together. I'd like to see Sir Alex Ferguson open a coffee shop next to Larry David's coffee shop. Yes, a spite store. Let's make it happen. <laughs> a spite spite store. That's what we want to see. <laughs> All right, that's the Premier League. After these short messages, we'll be back with some Bundesliga. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, we're back, gang, and we're talking Bundesliga. Another good weekend for Erling Haaland. Two goals and an assist in a dramatic 4-3 win for Borussia Dortmund over Bayer Leverkusen. Meanwhile, Wolfsburg, still champions of them all. Four wins from four with a 2-0 win over Greuther Fürth. Um, Gents, do you remember the film Juno with Elliot Page? Yes. I do, yes. There's a moment where uh, Elliot Page's character, uh, I think the, there's a psychiatrist called Goethe Rouse. And the actor says, Goethe Raus. And I always think of that voice when I hear Greuther Furt. I don't know why I brought that up right now, but I just felt the need to do so. Next time you oh, watch Juno. I was Juno, so excited for where we were going with that. And I was not disappointed while simultaneously being disappointed. Just picture Elliot Page saying, Greuther Furt, in a sarcastic Canadian way. And then Perfect. you'll be where I am. Anyway, don't know why I went there. RB Leipzig 1, Bayern Munich uh-huh. 4. Uh, Bayern Munich a bit too strong for their energy drink powered friends in the East. Uh, before we go to the action, Graham, kit watch, Bayern Munich, black and gold, LAFC style. Top, top, thumbs up from me. How about you? Yep, I like that. We've, I think we've spoken about this one before and I said it looked like the at the time we had this discussion before, the Premier League was doing their Hall of Fame thing and they, were, they had a kit for it. It was very similar. Someone has copied another person's homework on that one. But yes, <laughs> I very much like that one. And actually, RB Leipzig have announced their or released their third kit today. I already own the away kit, and now I think I'm going to have to buy the third kit. It's very nice. So, yes, my, I'm not going to have much money for I'm the next one. So. I want to know. Is it the blue one? It's kind of like, yeah, it's like, um, so I have the blue and orange, I think. It's like ready orange. And yeah. this one is kind of bluey gray. Uh, is it like kind of like sounds- camo looking, or is it the other? It's, it's called like electric blue or something, the one that's All been right. released today, and it's very nice. So. Uh, Graham continues to downplay the size of his jersey collection while simultaneously constantly adding to it. <laughs> I mean, it has it, kits are really good at the moment. Um, it, it's it's a bit like how tennis was really good for a long time, and I watched loads of tennis, and now I just buy lots of kits um, and still watch loads of tennis. So <laughs> perfect. Life is good, then, Graham. In, in conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah just i wear the kits while watching the tennis but not while i'm watching the football it's, it's a weird thing it's and a weird still thing. you never smile and here we are anyway <laughs> england's uh jamal Musil- Mus- i'm mispronouncing his name england's jamal musalia i've still done it musiala musiala <laughs> excuse me he's from england that's the important thing played more times for england you're not going to claim him that way <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've not done myself proud there, I must admit, but he was very much the star of the show in this one. Graham, best teenager in the world besides Emma Raducanu at the moment? 
Was Leia um, I mean, I can't look past Emma Raducanu, but uh, yes, <laughs> Miss Ella is, is, is very good. Comes on at halftime in this game, is that correct? That's I think. right, yeah. Yep, and, and scored has, a minute later. Yeah, scored, scored a minute later, and then nine minutes later has an assist for Leroy Sani. So, yes, um, not bad. I saw Thomas Muller after the match. It was put to him whether he was worried that uh, Michelle will replace him, not just for Bayern Munich, but for Germany, who, despite your claims to the contrary, Ryan, that's who he plays for, uh, not <laughs> England. And Muller's response was basically, uh, well, I can have my place. <laughs> so I'm not sure whether that's just... Uh, apathy from Thomas Miller or whether he knows how good this kid is and eventually he's going to replace him for club and country yes very impressive from him in this game I believe it's Thomas Muller's 32nd birthday today by the way happy birthday Thomas Muller and uh long may you continue doing what you do mainly talking about <laughs> horses in interviews um another really good one Taylor for uh, Leroy Sane uh back, really impressive on the left flank here where he belongs on the left and show him what he can do there yeah, and, and I and I think also showing that Julian Nagelsmann is getting uh, this team to buy in, and they seem to be kind of embracing his style because Sané so good on the ball, obviously, but also very much involved in a lot of like almost to me like NFL. Maybe it's just because I'm watching the NFL again, but like NFL style plays almost of there are definitely patterns and sequences when he w- would drop in and Alfonso Davies would overlap, and that's not even that you know groundbreaking or anything like that. It's just how rehearsed it was that as soon as Sané's coming in, you can see Davies alive to it. You can see whoever's on the ball. Uh, I think in the one that I wrote down was uh, Hernandez is on the ball. And he knows exactly what's happening. As soon as Sané starts to check, you can see him shaping. The whole defense thinks it's going uh, into Sané's feet. And instead, it's a lifted ball over the top to Davies, who now has acres of space because Mukiele has to track Sané. And I, there's just an awareness of what they're going to do, the opposition, how we can pull them out of out of that sort of shape, and then how we can exploit that lack of shape as a result. Because there's an awareness, I think, from Nagelsmann that Leipzig are going to be high-pressing, high-intensity, but that you can exploit that by getting them out of position, and then they don't quite know the patterns of how to get back and where they need to be and to have that lock, like that lockdown positioning. And I think Leroy Sané, it's interesting to see just how much stronger and more consistent of a player he looks I, when it seems like a manager has come in and backed him and kind of gotten him to perform. I think one of the, the most important things that, that Nagelsmann has done with Sané, um, and I think he's a really interesting case study at the moment because obviously he, he wasn't, it wasn't working for him last season right. under, under Flick. I think Nagelsmann has recognised how you need to get Sani into goal-scoring positions. I think he... I'm not convinced that Sani is a creator. I think he's he's actually more of a, a finisher. And I think... So the, the idea is you get him into the box as, as often pos- as possible and you're not really getting assists from him but you're get you're getting goals from him we saw that obviously for the the goal the the, the was that the third Bayern Munich goal um the one I was talking about the assist from Musiala that's right where, where Sani finishes it from from close range you know it's a tapping and and that looks like a simple finish and it is a simple finish when Musiala puts it on a plate like that for him but he, he's getting into that position and he wasn't doing that under Flick and I think I think Nagelsmann has recognized that that's something he needs to do with Sani is that he he He's not the most natural of creators as such. He's a finisher. And get him into those positions, he'll get you goals. Next up for Bayern Munich, by the way, um, Barcelona. Should Barcelona be 99.9% worried about Bayern at the moment, <laughs> Taylor? it's uh, They're not perfect, but they are pretty strong. 
Yeah. I, I mean, short of uh, Nagelsmann overthinking or trying to do too many strange things, yeah, I think both the Bundesliga and the Champions League might want to keep an eye on Bayern Munich. Uh, not that they already weren't, but they do just already look like such a cohesive, intelligent attacking side who can also do the defensive work as well. And this is a Bayern team who basically started like the same, roughly the same 11. You have Okamakano coming in, you have Hernandez there, but Hernandez was there last season. It's not as though it's a ton of new faces and Nagelsmann has sort of like like reconfigured the DNA of this club. I think it's he's gotten players to like basically be excited about a new style, a new system, to learn new things, to get them involved in different ways. And it seems like everybody is buying in. But then also the bench having an impact. Sabitzer coming on to booze, but helping create. Uh, and even uh, Chupamoteng coming in and getting a goal. That felt very Bayern of the past couple seasons with him involved. But... I think it, it really was so surprising to me to see how good they looked under Nagelsmann. Not that I was expecting them to be bad, but just I wasn't sure if they would take to it this quickly and that they have has to have Bayern Munich feeling pretty confident about uh, all of the many competitions they're going to be involved in this season. Let's the, 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 sorry, Brian, I was just going to say that the sight of Sabitzer coming on and just yep. kind of casually taking it easy for the final 30 minutes. Yep. And he, he did, you know relatively well but it still feels like he's been integrated into that team and as I say taking it a little bit easy and he last season was the best creator <laughs> for Bayern Munich's uh, biggest rivals who they're in in this match thumping 4-1 just felt like a, a bit of an illustration of their strength at yeah. the moment and how despite the fact Mark van Bommel's Wolfsburg are going pretty well and Ryan uh, seems like you have money on them much like you have money on Manchester United <laughs> to win that title um, I think Bayern Munich are going to be pretty much untouchable in the Bundesliga this season and the, the sight of Sabser, as I say, in the last 30 minutes of that game was kind of confirmation of that for me. Because <laughs> this was a game, I think the XG ended up being like almost exactly 4 to like 0.89. So 4 to 1 does feel fair in that regard. It felt more even. Uh, certainly it's only, what, 1-0 at the half. Then there's the two quick goals and suddenly it feels like things aren't going to close down. Leipzig have the goal uh, that was called back for a marginal offside decision. So maybe it could have been better, but I think... For the most part, this was Bayern just looking comprehensively good. And I contrast them with what we've already talked about with uh, Manchester United, where United, very top-heavy, can commit those numbers and can get those goals, but also leave themselves exposed. At times, Bayern Munich in this game attacking in a like 3-2-5 shape, where you had Gnabry or Musiala when he comes on on one side, Alfonso Davies on the other to give you that width. Then you've got Muller, Lewandowski, and Sané more central to combine. But that still leaves you with Kimmich and Goretzka sort of shielding. And then you've got the back three of Hernandez, Opamecano, and Pavar holding that shape. And maybe you get around them out wide. Maybe they overcommit through the middle. But it just seems like they've got balance and at the same time attacking talent where it needs to be. They keep the defensive talent where it needs to be. And uh, yeah, get four goals as a result. Again, I think Bayern Munich feeling confident. Yeah, definitely. You're right to pick out Kimmich there. Very much the linchpin here. Just absolutely mm. bossing it from the middle. Very impressive stuff. Not so impressive this season, yeah. uh, Graham, for, with Leipzig, though. Three defeats in four for Jesse March so far. Yeah. And t- I think Taylor's right to say this didn't feel like a 4-1 for a lot of it. It felt like, you know, Leipzig did have periods where they were controlling it. Uh, you know, they were getting forward and show- putting some pressure on Bayern at times, but just a little bit suspect as well, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, th- this match um, followed a pretty 
familiar pattern for Leipzig this season. I felt it was a fairly even contest in the in the first half when I watched it back. I, um, I didn't watch the first half of this one live, but when I watched it back, you could e- you could even argue that Leipzig had the the better of the the chances in the mm. opening forty five minutes. And Cuckoo has a good opportunity. There's a header from Leimar, which is quite difficult for him to generate the the power on. Then there's the chance for Almo right on on half time, which is is tipped over by by Neuer. And if that goal goes in, it's it's one all going into going into half time. Very different match, but. You're right. They just look a little bit suspect at the back. I, I felt sorry for, um, I think it was, uh, Mukiele. Sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly, but he, he in particular looked like he didn't know where to be on the pitch in the second half that Leipzig were really struggling to deal with Bayern Munich's transition, transitional play on the counter attack and having to deal with Lewandowski and Sane kind of taking it in turns to run the channels down, down the left side. Mukiele just he really didn't have a very good afternoon and he was probably quite thankful for the for the full-time whistle but Taylor going back to before the start of the season you and I spoke about what we expected from Leipzig this season and we spoke about how it's quite a big rebuild job particularly in in central defense and how I think a top four finish I think we both agreed on this a top four finish would probably be an achievement for Leipzig this season just to give them that platform to then build again next season and I, I still, even after this heavy defeat, I still feel like that's the aim, and I still feel like that's a that's an achievable game. Leipzig have had a, had a very difficult start to the season in terms of the fixtures they've had. Marsh has kind of had to 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 build the plane while flying it, um, and hasn't really had a chance to to do a lot of his his coaching work with those players on 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 the training field and even within games, winnable games. They haven't had that yet, so. I don't think it's time to press the panic button yet, but it's definitely a challenge for Marsh and for Leipzig to rebuild after for Nag- after uh, Nagelsmann. Yeah, I, yeah, I would agree with you on literally every point you made, uh, including that I don't think it's time for them to hit the button, nor do I think they're inclined to do so. I went back and took a look. Leipzig, as they've existed as Leipzig, haven't sacked a manager since Peter Pakholt, which is not a name that I knew, in 2012. Uh, in fact, they've had two managers leave early because they had already appointed their replacements, and those replacements were Ralph Rangnick and Julian Nagelsmann. So I would say that they don't regret those moves. But all that to me says that Leipzig make long-term decisions and they do not make emotional short-term decisions. So I think short of it being... December and Leipzig are in this same position. I think Jesse Marsh has got some time to kind of continue to build this club or build this particular team, this particular squad and establish an identity within them. And I think also he needs the consistency to do that. And he has what five changes from their one, no loss to Wolfsburg. Uh, and then also Yusuf Paulson still not involved. Uh, but a lot of those were injury related or international break related. So he's still trying to rotate through players, incorporate young players that have been brought in, deal with the loss of their, like basically their starting center backs, and then also their most, I would argue, their most important creative attacking player in uh, Sabitzer, who we mentioned just came on for a nice stroll for Bayern Munich. <laughs> uh, so I think he has so much to be done. I, I think it, it would be very unfair of Leipzig to put their present situation on him for the players they've lost and the, and the type but caliber of player they've brought in. I think they're definitely backing him for more of a long-term development and I think they are targeting Champions League and then maybe next season they can build a little bit more and go for that title but I think the coverage has been Dortmund are performing Bayern are performing Wolfsburg are overperforming Leipzig are struggling and things are bleak and I don't think that they would even say they're struggling right now I think they would think this is going according to plan or at least the calmness and lack of strong emotional responses from the front office uh, tells me that that's the case. 
Can we dig into that, Taylor, in terms of it going sure. to plan? A team that two seasons ago was in the Champions League and now are yeah. building up to try and get into the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I think like when you look at it from the perspective of Leipzig are a big club within Germany, still a reviled club when it comes to their like their German reputation, but they're not at that level where they are going to be able to keep hold of their best players and essentially really challenge for Bayern Munich for that title. I think it, it's going to continue to require them to invest, sell on, reinvest, build out the infrastructure, make themselves more of an attractive destination for players. And I think they have done that. I think they are still seen as a great club to go to, but I think the end of that sentence is a great club to go to, to then go to another club. And that is sort of the case for Dortmund, but I think Dortmund are slightly ahead of them and that, and that they do have more permanence, I think, and more consistent relevance. And maybe some of that is the way they're perceived Dortmund versus Leipzig. But I think you're right to say it's weird to see this club. It would be, you know, no dissimilar than Tottenham being in the relegation zone and really struggling, uh, which mm. is now Arsenal's domain. But uh, but I think with Leipzig, I don't have that big of a, a concern about it because they have had the managerial turnover. They have the new faces coming in. They've got teenagers that will probably be sold for four times what they were bought for. But you got to give them some time to become not unproven or rookie teenagers and for them to become veterans who've been there and know what's going on. Excellent stuff. Well, let's let's not forget, Taylor, if Tyler Adams was in this team. Uh, yeah, they would have won five. Home now. win. Home win. Yeah, exactly. Obviously. That's quite right. That's how it goes. I, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you're on board for that, Ryan. I'm glad you're on board. <laughs> Can I just make one more point on, on Leipzig? They, they have actually kind of been through this process before as well, um, where the, their first season in the Bundesliga, they finished second. Then the next season, they finished sixth and then rebuild again and finish third the season after. So it's just an, just adding to what Taylor said. I, I think actually this, they kind of take this into account that they're going yeah. to have these these fallow seasons. And I think this is just going to be one of those. It made well, me wonder, it, it really did make me wonder, like if you're looking at the two, the major models, I would say, for clubs, like organizations to own multiple clubs, there's the city football group model, there's the Red Bull model. And I... Short of the, like, with the exception of making clubs change their names and become new things that have Red Bull or RB in them, I, I do think that the Red Bull model is the more ideal one because it's easy, I feel like, to just have, like, like Gulf State oil money behind you to do whatever you want. Their model seems very sustainable, but very planned, very thought through, very organized, and very just practical. Of Like, there's not a ton of, this player wants to leave, this is disastrous. It's just like, okay, they can leave for this amount of money, and then we will reinvest it here, and we will buy this player, and that will be fine. There's just a, a calmness to their approach that I think is difficult to achieve, but very important to achieve at the same time. All right. Bundesliga, tick. When we come hmm. back after this break, Serie A time. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, we are back. We're talking Serie A. Jose Mourinho won his 1,000th game as manager mm. as Roma beat Sassuolo 2-1. Roma are top of the table now. Uh, three wins from three for the Gialorossi. Milan continued their perfect start, as we mentioned earlier in the show, with a 2-0 win over Lazio, in which Zlatan came off the bench and did Zlatan things. Sampdoria Zant- twice fought back from behind to hold the champions into Milan to a 2-2 draw as well. Simone Inzaghi's side dropped points for the first time this season but where we're going to focus our attention is the we're going to head to the Maradona as we call it now Napoli 2 Juve 1 a big win for Napoli this Napoli this one um on the day Ronaldo lives it up Taylor his former side suffer Hmm. is there some poetry there I I hadn't really thought about that until this morning when when I was reading some different like Juve match reports and different coverage of Juventus and just they all did draw that connection to like as he's scoring a brace and Manchester United look like this free-flowing attacking side questions for Juve about who will will kind of do certain roles but then also who will have the consistency to not make individual mistakes which seem to be becoming a larger issue for them and I think that's the thing that Allegri will have to try to find a way to deal with because I think they had a good game I think Napoli had a very strong game as well and I think Juve individually let themselves down, I would not put that on the whole team. So, Graham, Chiellini, after the Empoli defeat, said this is not a team, or he was heard to say this is not a team. Is it safe to say that maybe Ronaldo wasn't the problem with this team? Maybe Pirlo wasn't even the problem with this team? There's something else going on? Well, the the theory, taking the Ronaldo one there, the theory around Ronaldo at Juventus could now be interpreted in a slightly different way. I mean, I know it's still very early days, but the start that Juventus have made to this season has been absolutely dreadful. And obviously the theory previously was that Ronaldo was holding Juventus back. But could it be that actually he was maybe masking some pretty fundamental flaws? And now that he's gone, those flaws are being brutally exposed because they don't have a guy who's going to score close to 30 league goals every season. Um, the, the, the number of errors Juventus are making at the moment, I find quite bizarre. Um, I'm a big believer that errors in a, in a football sense are, are a consequence of their environment. Uh, but admittedly, I'm struggling for an explanation when Juve have changed their managers and those errors are still happening. Maybe maybe that says to me that Allegri hasn't changed the environment that much and actually he's he's yet to kind of put his stamp not just on the team but on the the atmosphere in the dressing room as well. But it's been a it's been a dreadful start. Um, I, I think I think they're going to be okay in attack you know they've got Kulisevsky who started this game against Napoli Morata who actually puts Juventus ahead after 10 minutes which are with a very nice 
kind of scooped finish over the goalkeeper. Yeah, he, well he pounces on a mistake from, um, I think it's Manolas, Costas Manolas, yeah. on the wing. But the way he takes that chance is, is brilliant. You know, Moise Kane is, is back at the at, at Juventus, where he shouldn't really have left uh, ever. Um, he yeah. has a strange role in the second Napoli goal, <laughs> which is bizarre. It's I mean, brilliant. obviously, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen it, a corner kick comes in and, and it, it strikes Kane and, and uh, Chesney makes the save and then Bally's on hand to, to convert the rebound. But what's weird about it is that Kane kind of makes the motion to actually head it towards his own goal. I don't know if I was the only one who spotted that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and because obviously you see a, a ball yep. striker, the, a, a player in the box, and it just kind of ricochets off them. He means to head that towards his own goal, doesn't he? It, yeah, it's very weird. It, I assumed that it was like it gets a touch, and he is going to head it clear. But then, like the the redirection means that it, like the physics of his header are off, and there is like a redirect there. But it absolutely looks like he forgot for a moment which team he's supposed to be scoring on because he that header is a directional header on frame it's a good header if Keen were trying to score just the problem being that he was not I yeah I I was pretty I was ready for there to just be like oh he's trying to do this and then this happened and really in the end it looks like I think maybe he just headed it to his own goal somehow between that and (laughs) Chesney spilling a ball that I think he was gonna catch and then midair decided you know what never mind I'm gonna parry this one straight into the middle of the goal for someone to tap in and I'm gonna be out of goal Weird, weird decisions for some of the Juve players in this one. Yeah, yeah. So, so despite that from Kane, I think he will he will come good. Going back to my original point, Chiesa, who missed this game, you know, I, I'm a massive fan of him. Dybala as well. So I think they've got more than enough quality to get by an attack without Ronaldo. And this is maybe where I can draw you in, Taylor, to speak about a certain American who has uh-huh. been in the headlines recently. You might have heard of him. Um, but I'm really not sure about that midfield unit. Manuel Locatelli, he gets a pass at the moment because this was, I think this was his debut, wasn't it? Um, and if it isn't his debut, he's been dropped into that team after signing. Full debut, I believe. Full debut. So, so he's been dropped into that team pretty. Uh, after signing pretty late in the window. But Allegri doesn't seem to have that central controller that he likes in central midfield. You know, he had Pirlo back in the day, Pjanic. Who is that player for Juventus right now? I guess Artur could be that good, could be that player, but he's just had surgery and having watched him at Barcelona, that's not a role that he's brilliant at, is controlling games. I don't think he's perfect at that. So given that one of those midfielders is Weston McKenney, Taylor, I'd be keen to hear what your thoughts are on what McKenney's role is and on that Juventus midfield as a, as a whole. Um, I wasn't sure he was going to play because there have been the comments about how he might be suspended for his actions uh, with the national team. He does end up starting, so th- there's that. So at least he still has some backing. But I do think you look at some of the absences, you already mentioned a few of them, Graham, but I think maybe Rodrigo Bentancourt would be another candidate for, right. for that like spot or to maybe get a go at that spot. It seems as though they want McKinney to be a more attacking central midfielder. They they don't want him to do as much of the defensive work, or at least not immediately set up to be defensive, but to be more involved in the attack. And he does get chances here. He does get some shots. He has a few crosses. One that I think he, he underhits to Murata that maybe if it's a little bit better, maybe that's a goal there. And, and then we all feel way better about Weston McKinney as the attacking midfielder. But I think... Where I am, to be honest, is that this Juve team seems to be similar to Leipzig in a little bit of a state of flux. And I don't think they figured out exactly how they want to play and exactly who the first choice 11 would be to be able to play they want to, the way they want to. So right now, it seems like McKinney is in that conversation, but I don't think is doing 
enough to like make it like, yes, he is definitely there. That is where he will be from now on. I don't know if anybody at Juve is doing that with this start to the season. So I think it's all sort of up in the air. And over the next few games, we'll see. I expect him to get some starts and to get some substitute appearances and then to miss some games entirely. And I think we'll slowly start to figure out who it is based on reps, who consistently starts there, but then also based on the, the data and the performance and if they're able to kind of elevate. And I think for Weston, that means being better in attacking play, not coughing the ball up cheaply, which he did a couple times, and then just better in his attacking decision-making, which I think is a thing that has been a bright spot in his game at times, but then also a vulnerability. And I think there's definitely areas for him to improve, not just off the pitch. And so this could be, I think this will be probably the most important season for Weston McKinney since he first moved to Europe. Gents, is this a hot take in the, when, when I say that Wojciech Szczesny isn't good enough to be in a team like Juventus. He seems like he's always got an error in him. And even in the Poland game uh, last week, seems like he's always, there's always that error, that moment of uncertainty when he's around. Yeah. And Graham, this was a team that, if I'm, I understand correctly, could have signed Donnarumma, but chose yep. not to. And they stuck with Chesney. Is that not just indicative of the kind of decision making that's going on at Juve? In my notes right in front of me, I have in big block capital letters, why didn't they sign Donnarumma? <laughs> <laughs> um, who it seemed, going back to the start of the summer, it seemed like not only were Juventus in for Donnarumma, he wanted to go to Juventus. It seemed like the club that he kind of, he liked the idea of um, being the next Buffon. And obviously he has that role for the Italian national team, but he wanted to go to Juventus, who are obviously the dominant club. I mean, I know they finished fourth last season, but they are still the dominant club in, in, in Italian football. And so for them not to, to get Donnarumma and now have Chesney and goals who, as, as you say, that, I think that's three big errors that he's made this season. He made two in the game against Udinese that Juventus drew, I think, 2-2 before the international break and then another one in this match. It, it feels like, um, and obviously Buffon left at the end of last season as well. So it's not as if they can even call on him. So it, it, yeah, it feels like a strange decision not to have signed Donnarumma. I can only presume that he was on big wages and that PSG have paid a lot more than Juventus were willing to pay for Donnarumma. However, the Ronaldo wages may have been, you know, I know that happened a long time after Donnarumma went to PSG, but those the Ronaldo wages could have been put on Donnarumma, and that would have been a central part of their team for the next 10 years. Goalkeepers may play for even longer. It might even be the next 15 years Donnarumma would have been their goalkeeper. So, yeah, definitely a mistake, I think, not to have uh, signed him this summer. And this this match just underlined that. Yeah, feels like another example of short-term thinking on their part, maybe. Yeah, um, Taylor. Uh, any, before we move on, a quick note, maybe on Napoli, who yeah didn't seem one like there was some dodgy defending going on here. They are Spalletti side are doing very well in Serie A this season, but it, they it seemed like they could be got at, but maybe got away with this one. And um, uh, the front line did well. Politano had a particularly good game in this, but some some errors in the back there, though, perhaps. I mean, perhaps, but when you've got Koulibaly, uh, he can make up for it and then he can score the winner. So what more do you need from a center back than uh, like putting out danger, but then also scoring winners? And I think the the combination of him and Manolas, say what you will about Manolas and some of his inconsistency, including being very lackadaisical to concede possession that leads to that opener for Juve. But from then on, I think there's there's a good relationship. There's a good sort of awareness of who needs to step, who needs to cover, where people need to be to cover for their their kind of partners. That extends to the midfield as well. And I thought this was an exciting 
performance from Napoli, more so than just the win, but from how they played and how they sort of went at Juventus. And there's, Mm -hmm. as with any game, there's ebbs and flows and there's periods of dominance for both teams. But I think Napoli, from the jump, seemed to have more control and more of a specific vision of what they wanted to do. And when you have Insigne and Palatano combining more centrally, when you've got Osiman who can run behind, but then also link up play and score goals if need be, uh, I think like you've got that front three that just gives you such variety. And then you even have uh, changes. Elmas starting this game. I think he normally would not be the starter, but you wouldn't have been able to tell it based on how he performed in this game. And I think that they're, they're sort of, I think Zembo and Gisa, if this wasn't his debut, then it's, it's close to it. And I think that he looked as strong as he did. Has to make Napoli fans excited. I think for anybody who wants there to be a title race and more openness and just general competition across the board, this Napoli team, I think, are going to give you that because they've got talent and then they've got a little bit of a swagger, a little bit of a fight and a very big bit of vision for how they want to play. And uh, overall, I thought this was probably my most enjoyable game of the weekend from uh, both sides are interesting. Both sides have a lot of stuff going on. Let's try to figure out what's happening standpoint. Hmm, I think that's fair. And Gisa, by the way, looking good in the middle and 0.9% away from being a Barcelona player with his number 99 on his shirt, Taylor. <laughs> Was that, that's the 0.9? That's the missing percentage? That's it. He's got a little there way to go. Is. Yeah, nearly, nearly. The other nine there. wasn't vaccinated. Got it. <laughs> One last game we're going to take a look at. We're going to go to Spain on our weekend review. Uh, Sevilla versus Barcelona was postponed after both clubs successfully petitioned their players still being absent from Condomol World Cup qualification. Real Madrid played at the Bernabeu for the first time since March 2020, Graham. A 5-2 mm-hmm. win over Celta. Karen Benzema, he's still quite good. Got a hat-trick. Yeah. We, we, I think we've made this point many times on the pod, but... To be in Madrid's front line for over a decade and still be delivering, that's a feat, isn't it? Yeah, as I tweeted last night, you know, I still feel like people don't realise how good Karim Benzema is. Whenever whenever we talk about the best centre forwards in Europe, I always mention Karim Benzema along with Kane and, and Lewandowski. I think that's the company he keeps. And he's he just seems to be get he just seems to be getting better. He's been he's been so good to start the season. I think he's had a direct hand in nine goals in four games, five goals and four assists, which is just unbelievable. And actually, and as a as a, as a as a whole, I think this Real Madrid team are looking a lot better than we maybe anticipated they would. You know, Vinicius is 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 playing very well. He is maturing and finally has a, an end product. And they are still a bit shaky in defence, Real Madrid, but I think they have enough firepower to compensate for that. They're back at the Bernabeu as well, which, by the way, I'll eat um, humble pie on that one. I did. I had no idea how they were going to get this stadium prepared in time to play a home game on uh, on September 12th, and they did. I mean, two weeks ago, it was a hole in the ground. They laid the pitch 11 days ago, and they had fans back and everything. The pitch looked pristine, so fair play. I've been proven wrong on that one. I did not think that was going to happen. So, yeah, I, I think... Real Madrid are going to be better this season than we thought they might be. And Benzema is in the form of his life. He's brilliant. Indeed. That stadium, by the way, Graham, doesn't look nearly ready, though, does it? Yes, the pitch is there, but no. nothing else is? No, that, that's fair. And, and I, but I think that was always, there's, it's kind of been done in phases. Um, yeah. So that was always the plan. But there's just, there was no way looking at pictures two weeks ago that I thought there was going to be football played the, this weekend at the Bernabeu. So... I'm impressed that they managed to get a pitch down and that they managed to get a, a game played. 
Oh, impressive stuff. Well, we're going to focus on the game uh, in Barcelona. The best team in Catalonia took on maybe the best team in Madrid, although we can debate about that one, Graham. But uh, Espanyol uh, won Atletico Madrid 2. Thomas Lemar with the 99th minute winner. A lot of controversy about the fact there was 10 minutes of extra time. A lot in of 99s one. in this podcast as well. There is, yeah. yeah 0.9% away from perfection that game was. Um, 10 substitutions in the second half. I don't think I've ever seen 10 subs in one half before. They had a water break and there was various poop housery going on which may have justified the extra time but um uh, taylor what did you make of this one it felt like a draw would have been pretty fair on balance but uh, atleti sneaked it so uh what i thought about this game was confusion uh because <laughs> i knew the scoreline this is when i watched after it had been concluded i knew atleti got the win and I think I, watching the way they started this game and the way they sort of approached it with a with a 5-2-3, but had a ton of movement and fluidity, but it also kept putting players in the ideal positions. We've talked about this before on the show, that Antoine Griezmann looks his best when he has a, like a, a central attacking partner. When he's in a 2, he's always going to look better than when he's in a 3. And when it was Griezmann and Suarez... There were so many different, like, one spins off and makes a run in behind, but the other is making the exact same run in on goal to be there for a centering pass, and they rotated who that might be, or sometimes it was Correa, sometimes it was Carrasco, but there was so much excitement to this team that I started to write it out. It's like, here we go, this is what Simeone was going for. It's going to be this kind of really exciting, interesting attacking team that can also be defensively solid. And then as the game goes on, and then I realized, oh, Espanyol went up 1-0 when Atleti had this sort of interesting proactive shape. Oh, at halftime they went to a back four, did they? Here we go. And then you start to see the sort of Atleti DNA come out. Very interesting to me that both of the goals for Atleti end up happening with Suarez and Griezmann off the pitch. Mm. Interestingly, João Felix on the pitch, so there's some good news there. But in the end, this continues to feel like that thing that happened last season of Diego Simeone wants to evolve. And I think credit to him for wanting to add new ideas and new identities to his team. But fundamentally it goes back to Atleti are going to kind of go to a, a more of a four, four, two shape with Carrasco playing 19 different positions. And then he ends up creating and making things happen. And a reliance on Carrasco feels appropriate, but also feels maybe slightly worrying for the talent they do have and the talent they've brought in. So they're playing was, the greatest um, hits by getting Carrasco back to do good things. I mean, between him and Griezmann, yeah, it feels a little bit like that, yeah. <laughs> but that's that. You're you're totally spot on there, Taylor, because Simeone a number of times has tried these kind of new expansive yeah. uh, styles and formations, and then every single time he ends up yep. going back. I, I, I'm laughing while you're talking because I'm in my mind. I'm thinking about him having this like this this big laminated folder of new ideas that he's worked on and every so often he builds up the courage to pull that out of the bookcase but at half time when it's not working he goes back to like the 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 rough and uh, the, the the kind of um the the laminated folder that he has that's all the all the edges are dog-eared and like it, it's been working for the last 10 years and he has to pull that out of the bookcase to to salvage things yeah. and that kind of happened in this in this match um he went back to the tried and trusted approach and it worked and it, we might not get to see expansive Atleti again for a good wee while, a good, a good number of weeks, at least until Simeone builds that courage up again. It's, it's the conundrum I think for him of like, 
If and and it's a credit to Atleti that with the way Espanol I thought looked very good and I would be surprised if they didn't stay up this season. I like I like a lot of what Vicente Moreno seems to have brought to this team in the way that they weren't just bunkered when they were when they did sit deep they were very compact and they had numbers. I think at one point they had all ten outfield players in a like twenty by thirty area and Atleti still tried to play through it and a couple times almost did and. There is that ability, there is that talent there for Atleti, even against a team that are very disciplined and very good defensively. But if you're Diego Simeone and you know, yeah, but at halftime, if I go to a back four and bring on some players and put them in comfortable positions, we'll probably get two goals and get a win. It like it would be really difficult because if you go back to what has worked in the past and it continues to work, like you, you, I think sometimes you have to have those losses to figure out, okay, what wasn't working? What did we need to change? What do we need to adjust slightly to make this new approach work better or more functional or give us the goals we need more consistently? But if you're not going to kind of stick with that and you're going to change at halftime and then you get the win, I can understand why you end up being caught in those two mindsets. But I think for Simeone, we're going to continue to see a team that start one way and then change. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it means that we're not going to see this free-flowing, attacking Atleti side that we sometimes hear discussed. We're going to see a hard nose fighting for everything, committing some fouls, frustrating the opponent, but then finding a way to win sort of Atleti. I think I think this match was proof of the the, the strength and depth that Atleti have. So, you know, mm-hmm. Felix comes on for Griezmann and then Lamar, Lamar scores the winner, introduced yep. at halftime. Condogbia comes on to show up in the midfield, and then Simeone is able to take off two world-class forwards in yeah. Griezmann and Suarez when chasing a game and still manage to turn the game around. And this was just confirmation to me that Atleti and, and La Liga at the moment, they have the, the strongest squad. They have the, 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 the most number of options. They, they can play... A different way, even if Simeone hasn't quite cracked that expansive style yet, they do have the players to do it. I mean, that front three of Griezmann, Correa and, and Suarez, in theory, should work. Um, particularly when you add in Griezmann, whose work rate and defensive work for Barcelona was never really appreciated because yeah. they didn't pay 100 million euros to sign a forward who can make a tackle. Um, whereas at Atletico Madrid that is going to be appreciated. That is going to be an important part of that team. And conversely, on the flip side, this may seem confusing, that allows Atleti to play the expansive style that Simeone wants. So they do have the players. And I think with Griezmann there, there's a better chance that they do transition into that style. It's not happened yet, but this match was still proof to me that they have so many options and they have great depth. And that could make make the difference for them in, in what is generally a weak La Liga. I know I, know I said Real Madrid will be, will be better than we thought they might be, but that's because we all thought they were going to be terrible, and I don't think they're going to be terrible. Barcelona are, are pretty weak this season, it looks like. So Atleti don't need to be at 100%. They don't, need, they don't need to know everything about their own game to win La Liga, and I think this match proved that. And I think it also proves that there is an element of Diego Simeone's practicality that matters and can help get results because for the second half, you're right, Graham, that I don't think Antoine Griezmann had to do a ton of defensive work. And when he did, I don't think it was always appreciated when he was at Barcelona. In this game, when those halftime changes happen, the triple substitution occurs. What I saw was was uh, Atleti at times in a more of a 4-1-4-1, especially defensively. And it was Carrasco on one side on the far side, and it was Antoine Griezmann on the other, tracking back and basically being an outside midfielder. But that worked. And then I think it also puts him into a position where he's being told specifically, here are your instructions for the first 15 or 20 minutes, 
And then Ja Felix is coming on and he is getting those same instructions. And so it's almost letting Griezmann play a position that he wants to play and is more comfortable with in the first half, transitioning him, him into a role that he can do very capably in the second half to then bring in a player who can do that role maybe slightly better with more instruction and with and going against some tired legs. And so even there, the adaptability of Simeone and the practicality, again, I think are so important. It just is that change that maybe we will hopefully see less and less as the season goes on, as Atleti find different combinations and find that chemistry a bit more. But fundamentally, they got the win, and that is what matters. Uh, they, what, now have 10 points, joint joint. Top of the table with Madrid and Valencia, I believe. So, uh, like, I'm still being sort of negative, and I think that's mostly just because I think this team are, are do have the biggest depth, do have the most variety in how they want to play and how they want to attack, and I think are probably going to be one of, if not the most exciting teams in the league this season. Indeed. So, uh, Luis Suarez, by the way, didn't touch the ball after the 43rd minute and was subbed at 71. That's yes. a real false nine role he was playing there. it was man and for an atleti team that when i looked at the market value of both both sides uh eight times more valuable their value 830 million dollars atleti and for espanol 110 million so i think espanol credit to them for keeping this one as tight as they did for getting that lead for frustrating atleti enforcing so many changes but in the end uh zero points for them three points to atleti feels like how this was gonna go before kickoff so i guess it's appropriate that's how it went at full time it's it's good to have Espanyol back in La Liga. Yep. It felt really wrong that they they were relegated. It was a, yep. it was a bit like Everton going down or something. Yeah. It, was, it was wasn't really meant totally. to happen. And also Raul de Thomas back in La Liga as well, one of the best goal scorers in in the division. I'd argue one of the best goal scorers in Spanish football. And he showed that with his with his goal here, a, the, a wonderful kind of glancing header oh, yeah. from the corner into the far corner of the net. So I'm pleased to see him back, and I'm pleased to see Espanyol back as well. Yeah, that was. A, we should give some props to that. That was a wonderful flicked header, wasn't it, Graham? Just. So well yeah. taken. And, and, and positioning the, as well. And, yeah, and that's how good the Thomas is. I mean, he showed that he very nearly saved Espanyol from relegation when he signed from Benfica in the second half of the season. He didn't deserve to get relegated. He stuck with them, got them back up. And I honestly think he... I mean, he will definitely hit double yeah. figures this season. He, he could be close to 20 goals this season. That's how good he is. I think he's brilliant. There were a lot of players for Espanyol that I, I will be surprised if in January aren't linked with moves or next summer don't get big moves because I thought Alex Vidal as well was pretty immense and caused mm-hmm. uh, a lot of headaches for Atleti uh, and then Raul de Tomas as well. I want to go back to Vicente Moreno one more time just to say I didn't know much about him uh, before this game and so reading about him does seem to be a promotion specialist. Promotion specialist. He was with Mallorca and got them up up the ranks and then left and moves to Espanol. And and I enjoyed, I think maybe like in a in a not a Schadenfreude way, but just sort of like an interesting way that he seems to be a player also who is around the like second division. Maybe he gets promoted, then they go back down, and then he's in the second division, and then he gets promoted again, and then he goes back down. It feels like that's what he has continued into his managerial career is the sort of taking a second division club, getting them to perform well enough to make it to the top flight, and then it's about how long can he keep them there. Uh, so I like that he did that as a player, and now he's doing it as a manager. Is he the reverse Big Sam? <laughs> he's the, yeah, he's the, Spanish, uh, the Spanish Neil Warnock. That's it. <laughs> all right gents someone's siri having a chat there to us who is that yeah I, I, my my watch is uh, giving me a spanish translation for something <laughs> is your is your watch voiced by ryan bailey i genuinely thought that was ryan bailey echoing <laughs> i think that's just ryan uh, moonlighting for apple yeah. yeah yeah what's going on ryan i'm british siri didn't i tell you that taylor 
<laughs> you did not, but I, I would I would take British Siri Ryan Bailey. I would have Ryan <laughs> Bailey uh, as as my Siri voice if I could. And now let's end the podcast. That sounded more like a train announcement than Siri. <laughs> I've changed my I'm mind. Sorry. I've changed yeah, my mind. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. I don't, I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Thank you very much for your time, James Taylor. Always a pleasure. Right back at you, my friend. Graham Rutherford and Graham Rutherford's watch. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing the voice. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. And I'll I'll tell my watch later that you said thank you too. <laughs> Will do. Listener, thank you so much. Bye.